Good morning. morning. Welcome to February. We've uh, spent January so far as a church going on a road trip with Jesus, looking at the steps that Jesus took and the stops that Jesus took and the words that He spoke and the things that He did along His journey through the three and a half years of His public life. And uh, it's been fantastic. Last week, um, after uh, we, we, we spent the morning together, I met a family out in the foyer. They said, oh, we really identified with this road trip theme. We're from Esperance and we've just, we're just visiting for the week and we drove up here. And, uh, and I said, Esperance. I said, come on now. We've got a couple here that just road tripped from northern New South Wales and we've got a family that just road tripped from Queensland. So, you know, Esperance is like just down the road for them. Don't call that a road trip. Um, Anyway, they were offended and left and vowed to never come back. So win some, you lose some. But this is week five. We started the first week talking about road to victory and really recognising that some people uh, can make the mistake that if they're not uh, right at the front lines or not really in the limelight or not uh, yet in the sweet spot of where they think God wants them to be, um, that they can feel like they're living in defeat. And the big idea from that week is that obscurity prepares us for opportunity, that while we're not actually necessarily in the limelight or on the front lines, we can actually be preparing ourselves to allow God to continue to move us towards we think that He's promised and called us to be. Next week, we followed on from that road to blessing. I mean, come on now. Who doesn't want some more blessing in 2019 and beyond? And this idea that, we, that blessing comes from God and God alone. However, we can actually do things to prepare and position ourselves to be more available for God's blessing. If you follow soccer, you know that you're not gonna score a goal for your team if you're standing next to your goalkeeper back in the net. You've gotta actually put yourself in position up in the front line, ready for the ball to come to you. So you can, positioning matters when it comes to God's blessing. Week three, road to healing. That for some of us, uh, dysfunction and damage has followed us into 2019. And some of it occurred in 2018, and so it's still fresh. Some of it occurred years ago and even sometimes decades ago and it still lingers in the, in the damage that that's caused. And God is a healer, God has healed, God does heal and God will heal and we can actually ask Him and, and continue to present ourselves to Him for that. Uh, last week, uh, Louis, my wife Louisa spoke and uh, she talked about road to resilience. And uh, you all who are married know that that's an important trait. Y'all, that's true. She shared the story about me, how I threw her under the bus and she learned to bounce back. You know, it runs both ways. But you can, you're in your job, you need to be resilient. Uh, in any form of relationships, we need to be resilient. That, that life will actually sometimes knock us down, throw us down, try to keep us down. And uh, there's actually this piece of resilience that allows us to bounce back. We use the metaphor resilience equals elasticity, that we can be stretched but don't have to be broken. This morning, I wanna look at uh, the road to greatness. Now, by the way, if you missed any of the weeks, uh, the first four weeks, you can get onto our podcast. Our podcast is available on all the major platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify. You can listen through our app. Uh, Tanya Watson is, uh, is teaching in two weeks' time um, on road to restoration. And so this is kind of uh, gonna be about eight or nine weeks in total, Louis doing one, Tanya doing one, me doing a few others. And we're running a contest about who can get the most listens to the messages that we each preach. So just you know, keep that in mind. Show me some love. 
road to greatness, chances are some of you, whether you've even realised it at the time or not, in your life have set some greatness goals. Maybe you were determined to, to demonstrate to the world that you're the smartest. Or maybe in the athletic contest, you wanted to prove to the world that you were the fastest. Or maybe you had some uh, wealth creation goals and you wanted to demonstrate to the people around you that you were gonna become the richest. Maybe uh, you wanted to be known as the most popular. And when we set these kind of goals that, that, that make us look great or feel great or appear great, they actually come, especially in Western society, they actually come with some actual, some, some kind of collectibles that we can demonstrate whether we're achieving these goals that were set. If, we've, if we set the goal of wanting to become the smartest, then throughout our life, we can collect uh, academic certificates and the gold stars and degrees. And we can say, look, look at me. I'm actually going further and higher and, and showing people that I'm pretty smart. When you wanted to show people that you were the fastest, you got ribbons, you got trophies and you collected them and, and, and you'd probably had some way that you would demonstrate them. If you are trying to achieve the goal and show people you're great in the area of wealth, then you wanna be able to see that you've got a newer, nicer, bigger house, a faster, flashier, more expensive car and, and, and the other toys that supposedly show the world that we're richer than the person next to us. And then, of course, there's the ever ongoing uh, yearning that some people have of wanting to be the most popular. And that was a, who had the most friends in the playground when we were in primary school. Now it's often measured through social media, who's got the most likes, follows, shares, comments, and so on. But all of these things kind of gather around this idea of greatness, that there's something more, there's something better. And with the, the collectibles and with the things that go with that, there's one thing they have in common. And that is they all reflect higher, that a gold medal is higher than a silver medal, that a master's degree is higher than a bachelor's degree, that uh, this car has a higher price tag than this, this car and so on and so forth. It's, it's a higher trajectory in our Western culture that's associated with greatness. What I wanna do this morning is I wanna put this concept of greatness under the microscope and look at it through the lens of how Jesus defines greatness. So if you've got our app, you can tap on the Bible title. It's gonna take you to a slice that one of his followers, best follower I think he had, his name's Mark, and he wrote uh, some of that, uh, Jesus Steps and Jesus Stops. And I wanna airdrop us into one of the, 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 the steps and stops that Jesus took with his followers that Mark recorded. And here's how Mark teed off. They came to Capernaum and when Jesus was safe at home, Jesus asked them, his uh, 12 merry men, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They'd been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. Now, two things stand out to me right now. First of all, and your parents know this. So your parents, when your kids were a certain age and they were rowdy, that used to bother you. But then they get to a certain age that when they were silent, you were even more nervous. If you couldn't see them and hear them, you're like, they're up to something. And you'd walk in and you'd go, Junior, what are you doing? And Junior would go. And the silence meant I'm guilty of a crime. You don't know what it is, 
but you know, this face is guilty. So these guys, the silence was deafening. They gave Jesus the, <laughs> The other thing that stands out for me about this that's not obvious from the slice is actually, we're picking this up at verse 33. If you scroll up, you'll see that right before this part of the journey, before they walked to Capernaum, Jesus had just finished telling them about how He was going to give Himself up, how He was gonna actually give His life over, that He was gonna sacrifice Himself for the promotion of others. (laughs) And yet immediately after that, their discussion shifted outside of Jesus' earshot to how they were gonna promote themselves potentially at the sacrifice of others. 180 degrees different perspective when Jesus caught him having this conversation. You know, in, in, in a particular corner of church world, there's a, a bias that kind of focuses solely on who we're becoming. That we put, need to put all of our time and attention and energy into character development, into faith development, uh, into our relationship with God. That who we're becoming is the only thing that matters. Doesn't matter what you do, it's about who you're becoming. And I wanna put it to you that Who we're becoming really matters. And yet it's only one side of the coin. That there is an aspect of what we're doing that also matters, that matters to God. And let me say it this way, becoming someone great sets us up to do something great that the actual journey, the actual process, the actual preparation phase of us becoming great, of developing character, of growing our faith, of growing in our relationship with God is actually setting us up to ultimately do something great. That, that becoming someone one great is not the end game in and of itself, but instead it's a pathway and it provides the infrastructure for us to ultimately do something great. Let me, let me show you a few of uh, my ready-made heroes in this space. Preparing this week, these names are, are just like bam, bam, bam. This is a guy named Scott Harrison. Let me show you Scott Harrison. Now, Scott Harrison was a, a New York-based a nightclub promoter. He took a leave of absence from that job, uh, went and spent some time in Africa, in a part of Africa where clean water was an issue. And clean water is not just an issue for drinking, it has implications on sanitation, hygiene, which has implications on health and education and ultimate opportunities. And so he came came back from that particular trip with this idea to start an organisation called Charity Water. And so uh, you can read about them. It's a very unique model uh, of how they've set up Charity Water. But this was in 2006 that he set up Charity Water. And this is what's happened since 2006. So 12, 13 years later, they've raised more than $320 million. They've funded nearly 30,000 water projects in 25 countries. And when completed, those projects will provide over 8.4 million people with clean, safe drinking water. It really matters what we do, not merely who we become. 
Let me show you Blake McCoskey. Now, Blake McCoskey, some of you may not know him, but you may know the brand that he started. He started a company called Tom's. And Tom's initially was started with the idea of shoes. And they made shoes. And the, and the model of this uh, social enterprise is that for every pair of shoes you bought from Tom's, Tom's would donate a pair of shoes to somebody in need. They called it a one-for-one one model. That also was launched in 2006. Now, since 2006, Tom's have given, donated 86 million pairs of shoes. And these are the kids. You know, some people in some parts of the world, some kids, the reason they don't go to school is they, is they can't walk there because walking barefoot is far too painful. You give them a pair of shoes, they turn up to school. <laughs> Sometimes it's too cold. Sometimes, and so, so they took a real problem and solved it. Well, then in 2011, they added eyewear. They launched uh, gla- uh, sunglasses. And if you bought a pair of their sunglasses, one for one, they would restore the eyesight of somebody with you know, glaucoma or whatever the, the issue happened to be. And so since 2011, they've been able to restore the eyesight. You think, <laughs> think about what a game changer that is. 600,000 people since 2011. And then in 2014, uh, my favourite, coffee, uh, they launched an, an additional one-for-one model where they, uh, you would buy a bag of their coffee beans and for every bag of their coffee beans you bought, they would provide one week's worth of clean drinking water to somebody in a developing nation. And since 2014, they've been able to provide 600,000 weeks of clean drinking water. It really matters who we become and who we become sets us up for what God's called us to do. Let me show you on one of our homegrown heroes, Daniel Flynn. Daniel Flynn, when he was 19 years old, he's a Melbourne boy. When he was 19 years old, he co-founded uh, the company Thank You. And uh, in our bathrooms, you'll see, and in all of our uh, kitchens, we use their uh, Thank You hand soap. Um, and they set that up as a social enterprise where a large percentage of the profits of this company, they would also invest into projects in developing countries. That was in 2008, and since 2008, they've given over $5.9 million. They've provided clean water and sanitation services to 556,000 plus people, provided food for 155,000 people, and provided maternal and child health services to 95,000 people. Now, here's the thing. It shouldn't surprise us if we understand that God has called us to become someone great and that provides the infrastructure to us to do something great. It shouldn't surprise us that all three of these people are followers of Jesus. Scott Harrison, Blake McCoskey and Daniel Flynn are all followers of Jesus who understood that there's a journey that God's doing with them on the inside and that journey that development, that building, that fabrication, the infrastructure, the character, the faith, the relationship with Him, caused them to launch out and do something great. That it's not just about becoming someone great. Become a great person and do great things. Both of these things, flip the next, both of these things matter. If you just focus on, and if we just focus on becoming a great person and do nothing, that's actually quite selfish. Conversely, 
if we only focus on the doing, we will lack the infrastructure that's gonna sustain us as God continues to give us opportunity ahead. So both of these things matter. They're not an either or. They're very much a both and. They're very much two sides of the same coin when we talk about greatness. So <laughs> Jesus sat down and summoned the 12. That's a good one. Oi, knuckleheads. So this is lecture time from Jesus. So you want first place. Well, here's how that happens from my perspective. Here's how you get to first place from my perspective. Take the last place. Be the servant of all. Friends, this should come as great news to us when we see this, because by Jesus' definition, every single one of us can be great. Because every single one of us, you might have never thought of yourself as someone that could ever get to first place. Jesus says, no problem. Because actually the way you get to first place is by putting yourself in last place. And for some of you, you're thinking, I can do that. I feel like most days that's where I'm at. I've been fighting all my life to get out of that place. And Jesus says, ah, ah, your last place, that's the place to be. Because from my perspective, last place is actually the pathway to first place. However, let me bust two myths. I like to do a bit of myth busting. Let me bust two myths because to read that and not understand the context or the fullness of it, it comes with a couple of potential for some bad choices, okay? Whether we deliberately do it or not, in most spheres of our life, there's an organisational chart. In some of you, in your businesses, your place of employment, there's an organisational chart. In your family, there's an organisational chart. We don't call it that, we call it a family tree, but it's an organisational chart. And the organisational charts that we kind of slot into tell us who's higher and who's lower. That the CEO is the top of the food chain and the janitor is at the bottom of the food chain and you just need to look at the organisational chart to realise that. And if we look at an organisational chart and apply on the surface what it looks like Jesus is saying, then we shouldn't ever wanna be anything except the janitor. We should never wanna be the CEO. We should never wanna own our own business. We should never wanna be an influential uh, musician or artist. We should never want to uh, aspire and, and, and move uh, to management. And please do not, for the love of God, ever want to be a leader in the church because you risk moving from last place to first place and disqualifying yourself from greatness in the process. If that's how we applied what Jesus is saying at face value. Only janitors are great. Now, I like me a clean toilet, so I think janitors are great. But is Jesus calling us only to sit at the bottom of whatever organisational chart we can look at? And I gotta tell you, Scott Harrison is at the top of his organisational chart and we need people like Scott Harrison. 
and Blake McCoskey and Daniel Flynn. We need CEOs who are followers of Jesus leading companies and bringing to the table and bringing to the organisation the sort of values and the sort of kingdom perspectives and infusing them throughout the entire organisation. Not uh, people who are self-interested and corrupt and, and, and have no interest in promoting Jesus and, and, and the kingdom and the gospel. That's who we need at the top of the organisational chart. We need business owners who are, who are looking not just to, 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 lead, to run a business to just to buy a nicer car, but actually to say, man, if I launch a business and, and that business becomes successful, I can actually give financially even more than I am now as someone who's sitting lower on my organisational chart in my current job. We need people in media. We need people in education. We need people in our community who as Jesus followers, Say to Jesus, I don't want there to be a lid on the level of influence you're gonna allow me to have. I'm gonna put a lid on that. I'll go as high as you wanna take me. It's like, well, then, then you're never gonna be in last place. Hold that thought. I'm gonna bust that myth in a second. I'm gonna bust another myth and I'm gonna bust them with the same... Thing, but another myth is that growing your influence is self-promoting. And so we should make sure we don't try to grow our influence in our workplace, in our community, in the media, in church, on social media. Now, growing our influence can be self-promoting, but it doesn't have to be. As a church, we are laser focused on growing our influence. And we're using all of the tools we can possibly access in order to grow our influence. I mean, of course, we wanna influence the people who are here. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We love every single one of you, but we haven't locked the doors and handed out membership passes and say, that's it, we're done. That we need to actually reach more people and build more people. And so we're actually looking all the time at building our influence. But we're not doing it to serve ourselves. We're doing it because people need Jesus. And so we're promoting our podcasts. We're paying Google, yes, the evil empire, to actually advertise on their platform so that when people say, church near me, where's a church? I'm looking for a church. And we advertise in a 12 kilometre radius that Elevate will come up number one or two in that search result. And they'll then click through. We're, we're being very intentional about growing our influence. We post stuff on social media. It's not just to kind of make you remember what was said here on a Sunday. It's to actually broadcast that beyond just the people here on a Sunday. Because we understand these days with the tools available to us, we're not limited to just attendance as being a measure of who we're influencing. We can now use engagement as a measure of who we're influencing. That includes attendance, but it's not limited to attendance. Yesterday, and I won't say who it was, and I'm not, I'm not calling them out, but yesterday uh, I noticed uh, one of our team had shared a post that we put up from last week and someone had commented on their post. This looks just like church marketing to me. And I read that comment and I chewed through all of my typing fingers so that I couldn't <laughs> respond, tempted though I was. I'm like, 
Heck yes, it's church marketing. Do you understand that Coca-Cola are marketing their product to you when they put an advertisement on TV or YouTube? Do you understand? It's, it's, that's just Coca-Cola marketing. Oh, duh. But how much more important is the message that we've got than drink brown sugary water? So why leave it to Coke, who's smart enough to know that the more they market, the more people are gonna use of their product? Are we just supposed to go into the dark corner of the auditorium, somebody fetch the acoustic guitar and let's make sure that, that these 100 people love Jesus and go to be with Him one day and the other hundreds of thousands in our community can literally just go to hell. Yeah, it's church marketing and we wanna do more of it, not less. Anyway, I didn't comment and respond. I don't know the person. I don't want to know the person. <laughs> so here's Jesus' solution to this question of whether we should be the janitor and not the CEO, whether we should avoid becoming more influential or not. It's simply this. Use your influence for others. That it is very, not just allowable to grow your influence, it's actually important. And as you do, ensure that your motive is to use that growing platform for others. Use that influence for others. You can be at the top of the organizational chart, but your motivation is to elevate everyone that you're responsible for, not just for them to elevate you. You understand that? In other words, you put yourself in last place, even though on the old chart you're in first place, you put yourself in last place because your commitment is to use your influence for others. If it was literally about putting yourself in last place as the leader of a church, I'm actually doing the wrong thing. If that's literally what Jesus meant. But instead, if I take this as the guiding motivation, as my guiding motivation, and look, I ain't perfect, but I endeavor to make this my guiding motivation. So I have the privilege of leading team leaders and they have the privilege of leading team members. My motivation when I lead team leaders is to make them more effective. Not for them to bow and scrape and bend and bring me more expensive Christmas gifts, <laughs> though I never like to rule that out. And for them in turn to have the motivation that as their influence grows as team leaders, that they'll invest that influence into making the team members that they lead more effective. You know, here's a crazy one for you. My neighbours don't understand this. Sunday mornings, about 42 Sundays a year, I go to this building in Rivervale and I speak for 30 minutes and some people actually turn up to listen. Like, what's that all about? And because I understand how precious your time is, and because I understand what, a, what an incredible privilege it is that, and you're not just here to listen to me, I understand that, but I'm just saying for 30 minutes of our time together, when I'm speaking, this is my motivation. 
When you come to me and you say, oh, Mark, good job, good message. I say to you, tell me what was good about it and don't tell me what was good about it. I really like the introduction and then I like the way you segue it into that story. No, tell me what God spoke to you that's gonna help you when you leave here because that's the benchmark for me. That's the win for me. The win for me is that God has allowed me in this elevated position, literally, to speak some words and, and hopefully take something from His Word, speak it to you that's gonna be helpful, that I'm gonna be able to use this time, this influence, this platform for you. That the win is on a Wednesday that I get a message and say, man, oh, that, that message on resilience or that, what, I, what, what, what I read when that scripture and you put it up and I, I went in and I've been using that in my relationship. I've been using that with my kids and I gotta tell you, here's the difference that's making. And I'm like, dude, I would do this for free to be able to read that sort of stuff as a, as a habit. That's the win. That's the win and that's the win for you when you're elevating the people that you have influenced in their lives. And so Jesus' object lesson Put a child in the middle of the room. And cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these children, as I do, embraces me. And far more than me, embraces God who sent me. Now, this would have been a big, big object lesson for Jesus in his time. Now, Because in Jesus' time, kids weren't the priority. They were just kind of there. Now, we move into different suburbs so that we can be in better school districts. We change sporting clubs if we see juniors got some uh, uh, aptitude in a particular sport. You know, we, we, a lot of families make their world around their kids. That wasn't the thing in Jesus, in Jesus' culture. In fact, the fact that Jesus pointed to the child and said, I want you to use your influence the way that, that I'm using it with this child. He was saying, this child is not gonna help you become the CEO. This child is not gonna boost your Instagram followers. This child is not gonna pay you for your bum wiping services. This child can do absolutely nothing for you. And that's how I want you to serve. I want you to look at the people you have influence over. And here's the key, serve without expectation. Serving and becoming great is not transactional. It's not a scale. If I measure out some, I better get the equal amount back or else it's game over, buddy. No, use your influence for others and serve without expectation. Uh, uh, I joined the team and nobody thanked me for the first three weeks. Well, what was your motivation? Was it to serve or was it to get accolades? I asked God to use me and three months later, I felt so used. What? Now, there is a difference between being used and being abused, okay? And I know some of your stories from church life in, in other churches growing up and you have walked away with some damage and I get that. And no church is perfect, including Elevate Church. However, we do in, try to create an encouraging environment. We try to have text messages and emails flying around through the week of encouragement. Hey, I really loved when you did that. 
that a team leader would look at it for opportunities to recognise and affirm and say thank you and good job and well done and I appreciate that and I appreciate you and what you're doing makes a difference and connect what they're doing to vision and to mission and because you did that, we were able to do this. And we're trying to build that culture where everybody who says, I wanna serve, while they come with that expectation, their, their lack of expectation gets exceeded by having affirmation and gratitude and recognition and encouragement and thanks. We're also trying to build a church where the people who get served demonstrate appreciation. Now buckle up while I ask a couple of questions. Those of you with kids in Elevate Kids, do you, when you go to check Junior out, do you say to the person in the orange shirt every single week, Thank you so much for investing into Junior. Because they could be sitting next to you in here. They're not paid, but they're not. They're serving out there without expectation. So do you, I'm not, this is not, this is road trip with Jesus, not guilt trip with Jesus, understand? All right, I'm not trying to push you down. I'm trying to lift you up. Because when you do that, guess what? You elevate them, but you're gonna walk away a little elevated yourself, right? They're serving without expectation. They're not whinging. They're not posting on Facebook, stupid, ungrateful, elevate parents, bugger off. No, but let's build a culture where we're demonstrating gratitude and encouragement. When you partake of some delicious coffee of the day, guess what? That didn't just magically get airdropped from heaven by the coffee gods. No, there's a fleet of people with black T-shirts that say, welcome, we've been expecting you. So get a cup, look for them and say, I love you more than life itself. I, I don't think between Jesus and you, I could not exist without you. When, no, seriously, when was the last time you thanked one of our host team members? For getting here, call time, 8.15 a.m. before even some of your alarms go off on a Sunday to settle this up and make sure that we all get to enjoy a fantastic live experience. These slides and videos and music team, music team's called, team, called you know, media team and our music team in church world, they're called Philo people. That's not because they're puff pastry, by the way. It's called, it's Philo, first in, last out. Winter, spring, summer and fall. First in, last out. When was the last time? You know what they look like. They're up here. You were looking at it for 20 minutes. When they're done, when we're done, go and find them. And they might not have played your top four. (laughs) But when was the last time? So how does this sound? Becoming a church where people serve without expectation and yet get inundated with encouragement. How's that sound? Does that sound a little bit of heaven on earth? Huh? No serving with expectation and game playing and manipulation and whinging and complaining. None of that on the one hand and yet on the other hand, no reason to. Man, I signed up with that team with no expectations. But guess what? I, I have to fend off the encouragement like a freaking ninja. 
You know, Louis appreciated last week, Road to Resilience, and, and we're debriefing uh, at home. We live together still. Uh, and uh, <laughs> most nights. And, uh, and um, so we're debriefing. I said, babe, how do, you, how do you think you went? You know, just like, you know, I'm not gonna score. You know, like, just, but how do, you, how do you feel that you, and she said, you know what? I had 10 separate people. She had a number. 10 separate people come up to me and give me something very specific about what I said that God used to encourage them in their journey. And I went, <laughs> give me names. I wanna say to those 10 people, do that again and again and again. Louis preached without expectation and yet 10 people encouraged her with what God spoke to her. Jesus had the ultimate license for being able to say this to his followers at the time and us today, that to be first, you actually put yourself last, that you actually serve without expectation because he went to the cross. He literally died so we would never have to. He literally demonstrated servanthood by that ultimate act. And uh, I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to respond to Jesus' generous act. If you've never actually said to Jesus, I wanna actually follow you. I wanna actually put my trust in you. I want to surrender my life to you. Then right now, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. And all I want you to do is just put your hand up. You say, Jesus, that's me today. That's me today. And you might be here for the first time and you've never made that decision, I wanna encourage you to make that decision. You may have been hanging around for some time and haven't yet made that decision, I wanna encourage you to make that decision. You may have grown up in a church and never made that decision and God's brought you here today. I want to encourage you and give you that opportunity to make that decision, to say, yes, Jesus, today, I wanna follow you. So right now, before we finish, how about you just slip your hand up, you say, yeah, that's me this morning. I'll see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down, I'm just gonna pray for you then from up here, I don't wanna miss anybody morning. The ultimate sacrifice was made for you without expectation, but it opened up an opportunity 